Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisande for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and I review horror on my blog, KeithRFoster.com and iHorror.com. So I almost got caught up on the word two again for two different perspectives. So luckily I powered through. <laughs> What's up, man? It's been a week. It's been a week. I, I, I traveled and I was there long enough. Like the, the schedule for my kid competing was kind of jacked. And we were on the East Coast. We were in Richmond, Virginia. And I'm going to talk about my travels first because that, that took up a lot of my week. It, we, we flew out on a Wednesday night and we came home on a Monday night. So, I mean, it felt like I was a goddamn Virginia resident by the time I was there. And, uh, and we came back on Monday. We're recording this on a Wednesday. And uh, yesterday I was, I was sluggish. I think both she and I were just struggling to have good energy. You know what I mean? Like I stayed up until my normal time. I'm a pretty early sleeper or, you know, I, I go to bed rather early. But um, I stayed up to my normal time. But I just felt dead three hours before, and uh, I feel better today. I had better energy in the morning. It's flagging a little bit, so I uh, I have my final Richmond beer souvenir here. I got a uh, what, what brewery is this? It's Hardywood in Richmond, Hardywood Park Craft Brewery, and I have a a bourbon barrel. We're we're gonna rock some oh, right bourbon on. barrel tonight. Yeah, twelve. Yeah, you're staying on brand. Staying on brand. I like that, and uh, I also. I'm staying on brand, and I have the Kirkland Hard Seltzer <laughs> rocking the mango today. Unofficial, unofficial podcast sponsor of Making That's Comics. Right. Um, Kirkland, also another indie coming up in the world. So uh, I'm trying to give them, you know, their just due. Dude, he's 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 writing half the image books. He's oh, that's Kirkman. Damn it. Yeah, sorry. Mm. It, it was close. Yeah, it was, close. it was it was close. I think I think he should branch out into different name shit too. Um, I think it happens to him all the time in his everyday life. Uh, he's just like, oh, I'm Robert Kirkman. Oh, Robert Kirkland. Oh, you own part of Costco? That's, that's cool. <laughs> I really love your ciders. <laughs> I listen to this <laughs> podcast and these guys just can't get enough of them. <laughs> they can't. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, so yeah, man. No, Rich, Richmond was cool. I wanted to talk about the couple things that were they're semi-relevant to this podcast. So I'm going to do a little culture first, which is anybody who's within driving distance of Richmond or just lives there, they probably know about this. The The... The Virginia Fine Museum of Art in Richmond is amazing, and it's free. Coolest thing, right? And and oh. we have some uh, museums here in Los Angeles. We have both Gettys that are free. You got to get a ticket, and you got to pay for parking, but Getty parking is a little more expensive, where the, the Richmond one, it was like six bucks to park, and I mean, you're like, yes, please, this is great. And, um, and it was just cool to go to an art museum. I haven't been to one in a while. Uh, this is the first one I've been to post-pandemic. So it was just good to get back around in one and, and walk around a little bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes get inspired and sometimes just stare at something wondering why why someone paid a whole lot of money for it. You know, like a, a, big, a big red square. Big red square. Oh, yeah. I hate that shit. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a popular opinion or not, but uh, there's just some abstract art that I just... I think they're full of shit and yeah. like, and I, and I, I took an art class and we had a teacher that was a little hippy dippy and my buddy didn't do the assignment and he just made some bullshit up like legit bullshit. He goes, dude, I just, and it was like, you had to make something and yeah. he like grabbed a hanger and he like twisted it and he tied some shit to it and he like made this whole story up. He's a really good liar. 
and she fucking bought it. She just bought it. She goes, oh, totally. I can see that. And I'm, and he was just like, you know, after it was over, he's just staring at me. And I'm like, I hate this shit. Yeah, it's exactly. Like not real. You exactly. Know? Exactly. So, um, so no, it, it was really cool. The, the high point is, uh, is that they have the largest North American collection of Fabergé eggs, which is insane. Uh, I, I think that that's just insane that an art museum in Richmond has five Fabergé eggs in one place. Um, people might know about Fabergé eggs, but if you don't, only 50, I think, were ever made. So my kid and I got so fascinated with Fabergé eggs because they're so valuable. They're, you know, anywhere from like 10 to $30 million value a piece, something like that. I think they were in a James Bond. Oh. I think Octopussy by James Bond had a Fabergé egg subplot, if I remember, for a while. But... Um, only 42 of them still exist, and most of them are in their mother country oh. of Russia. Um, but the ones that, that are here, you know, there there's some in North America and the United States, but the fact that there's five in one place, in, you know, and, and that place is Richmond, Virginia, is killer. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of wild. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so, you know, we, we kind of went on a little mini uh, Fabergé egg bender. They, they had a deep discounted uh, exhibition book there at the museum. It's always nice to, you know, when, when you don't pay money to get in. You're really interested in supporting w when you can, you know. So we we went to the cafe. We got you know we got coffees. Um, we we got the book. We just had a good time. And because I am who I am, the next place we went, much in the spirit of of the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, is that we went to the Gwar Bar. Do you know who Gwar is? You know who Gwar is, don't <laughs> yeah. you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a fucking themed restaurant in Richmond, Virginia for Gwar. And uh, depending on how deep you go into Gwar, um, Ballsack the Jaws of Death is the guitarist. So so let let the crowd know oh, who sure. might not know who Gwar is. Yes, if you don't know who Gwar is, um, they are a, uh, a, you know, within the metal circles, they are deeply loved. They are an insane band headed by the late and incredibly great Dave Brocky, a.k.a. AKA Odorous Oringus. And Guar are a bunch of dudes that wear absolutely crazy costumes, and they claim to be space gods who landed in Antarctica and want to enslave humanity, but they really want to smoke all of our crack cocaine before they do that. And and they, they, <laughs> they just have, like, their sense of humor is so insane and twisted. It is right up my alley. I love them. I love them so much. And uh, and so to be able to go to a Gwar restaurant, the Gwar bar, was incredible. Um, that said, you know, it's one of those things of, like, I can't envision an existence where I, I don't go to it. You know what I mean? But... It's right. a it's a dive bar. That's really all it is. Oh, and the executive chef, oh, okay. the executive chef is Balsack, the Jaws of Death, who's the guitarist who wears a bear trap for a head. Um, you know, again, just to give you an idea of what Gwar like does. legitimately it is him. Yeah, yeah, it's really him. Oh shit! Yeah, it's really him. It's really him. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and again, something. I mean, so it's it's just a dive bar. That's really what it is. And they do have some Guar props and things around. Do they have uh, their own beer? Do they have their own custom? Beer? No, and that was disappointing. Ah. That was disappointing because they yeah. they have something on the menu called Guar beer, but all they did was name Guar after like a, a, a local brewery beer you can buy anywhere. Um, so that that oh, again, that was a little disappointing. Um, the food was fine. Like I had. Uh, 
there there's a band member named the Sex Executioner, and so I got a burger called the the Bacon Executioner, which was three types of goddamn bacon on it. It was de- it was delicious, but boy was it salty. So it was ba- they had bacon crumbled, and then they had beer battered bacon as well, and then they had a bacon jam on there, <laughs> dude. It Ooh. was so bacony. Again, like I needed to drink three glasses of water after I was done. Some peanut butter and jelly would sound pretty good on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking of yeah, but um, speaking of great burger places too um and then my kid had the the meat sandwich which is also a song by gore <laughs> meat sandwich um but it was just pulled pork and uh, and she enjoyed it she enjoyed it so okay so i got to, i got to basically show my kid the the two highest cultures that exist in richmond virginia the <laughs> museum of fine arts and the and the tribute to the one of the greatest bands on the planet gore um that was a good time that was a good time that sounds like a which well, which made it more good is or weirder was the fact that there were two people that clearly were on some combination of cocaine and meth, and they were just they were just at clowning. They were clowning. They were in their own little world where everything they thought was they did they thought was funny, and they were they were like dancing. I think at one point the guy did a thing that was like Michael Jackson Thriller, and then the guy like he he was speaking. He would like talk to his friend, but he'd be staring at other people as a form of like strange performance art. It, it just it made the whole it, it's fun to talk about. It's not fun to exist in because all you want to do is have a relaxing goddamn dinner, you know, in this dive bar, you know. And uh, yeah, the whole thing was strange. But uh, I actually have a another semi strange story that I'm going to tell in the post credit for this. But I'll I'll pause this right now. So. At least those people were staying on brand with the band. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, yeah, we should do cocaine and meth because, like, that's what Guar would do. I, f- and, uh, <laughs> I can't smoke crack like Guar would, but I do have this <laughs> cocaine and meth handy. <laughs> this is going to work out quite well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but as you were telling that story, I was like, oh, my God, this is great to hear. And like you said, but I was also imagining me being there. I'm like, oh, I would have hated this. Yeah. I would have hated to have been around it as as long as they kind of kept to themselves. I might have been entertained, but I have this like weird anxiety that people that are being that are being influenced and I'm like sober as a judge. I don't want to interact with you. Yeah. And I'm worried that the interaction will come. So my anxiety starts to raise. Exactly. I would definitely be uncomfortable, but I definitely love hearing you tell me about it. I mean, I'm there with my 15 year old. You know, so the whole thing is just and and I got to talk to my 15 year old about like, this is what cocaine addiction looks like right here. You're looking at it, you know. Um, So anyway, so that was that. And then the third thing, which is actually um, relevant to comics, is we went to a couple comic shops. And and you know that what I did was I went to what I thought was the second best store in town first. I think they were called. Oh, God, I'm going to butcher it. I learned about Guar because of. uh uh, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. That's actually how I know of them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because they would sit there and they'd watch music videos. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, okay. Like, you know, because my brother was in a heavy metal band growing up. And, and you know, I knew about Metallica and, and like certain bands, Tool or whatever. But I didn't know about Guar. And then, you know, my teens, I'm in uh, high junior high and and Beavis and Buttheads freshly on TV. And I'm like, what kind of fucking band is this? I've never even seen anything like it. So definitely interesting to see. I left out Gore's stage show, which I think we should at least, I should at least touch on with, with some class and style, which is part of Gore's stage show is to have um, a lot of big, like foam life-size puppets. And, and they will do yeah. things like 
disembowel those puppets, chop the heads off those puppets. Um, and as a result, and then what they also do is they equip them with with fluid. So when they chop that head off, fake blood sprays on the audience. Um, there are some other fluids, <laughs> fake fluids that get sprayed on the audience as well that I'm not really going to go into on this podcast. Oh, God. But uh, but what a lot of people will do is they will wear, uh, well, not who knows what they do anymore, but because um, gore still exists. But to me, without Dave Brocky, the magic is gone. Like, they're fine. They have a new lead singer, but it just doesn't have that. It doesn't have that sizzle that it had with with uh, with Odorous. But people would wear white T-shirts. And they would just get in the pit and, you know, knock each other around. And then they would just go home and keep the T-shirt because they just have all kinds of color fluid all over it. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, again, one of the greatest bands of all time, people. Um, um, gore. So hold on for a second. I just got some kind of stupid phone call. I'm really, look, here's what I know because I just turned down a phone call and I may have cut out. I know that it is a global pressing concern for people to talk to me about the extended warranty on my car because I'm getting three fucking calls a day about the extending war extended warranty on my car and it's driving me nuts. Dude, same. I, I get it all the fucking time. I my phone, I put a setting on. It's like it's good and it's bad. Basically, if it's a number that I don't have saved or a number my phone doesn't recognize, it sends it to voicemail. But so sometimes if someone's trying to call me and they're on a new number or something like that, I won't get it. Yeah. But it does forward these thousands of calls that I get about my warranty. And uh, it, I always get these voicemails that I have to check. And yeah. like, there's a fucking warranty again. Exactly. But the messed up part is my warranty is actually coming up. So I'm like, is this real? So I was just like, no, you know what? Just schedule the appointment with Hyundai and then I can talk to them about it. Exactly. But now that you're telling me you're getting them, I'm, it's bullshit. It's total bullshit. It's total bullshit. So, um, so anyway, so the first place was Alpha Comics and Games. They, what I saw from their place is they had a small selection of back issues, and um, but it turned out that they had more than I thought because what they have is they have one of those cool, like I'm gonna say it's nine long boxes across, two sides. And then they have those awesome heavy wood drawers. So it's actually three layers, right? So we're talking about a very big amount of long boxes there that they've managed to stack in some really great furniture. Um, and the the bad news for me was um, they didn't really have much in terms of dollar bins. But what they did have was a bunch of comics. And that's why I texted you and said, hey, I, I, I had... Uh, for, for listeners, I had actually hit Scott up before this because he's mentioned a couple times before, you know, when we go in stores, um, his quest for specifically Savage Dragon and Invincible. So I was like, dude, just just send me your lists and I'll take a look out for you. And uh, I found, man, I found like, what, about a dozen, 10, 10 to yeah, 12, it seemed like it. 10 to 12 Savage Dragons to fill your collection out. So um, so anyway, the next time we meet, I'll have those for you and we can settle up since you, you grabbed me some comics on Midtown when we when we were going uh, bonkers on some things. Yeah. And those came in. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. So we'll be able to, to settle up, uh, you know, next time we meet, which I think is going to be next week because we're going to hang out. So anyway, um, so so that place was good. Um, better for you than than for me. And then the second place was, you know, the best rated comic shop in Richmond. It's a place called Velocity Comics and Games or Velocity Comics, I think. And um, it's kind of a tale of two stores, because if you're there for back issues, I think it's it's garbage. Um, there are boxes kind of all over the floor. Um, they're not organized at all. They have no alphabetical rhyme or reason. They're also not priced. And when I see something not priced, 
my my siren goes off a little bit because what I feel, I mean, I, I, I know this from record stores. I'm assuming comic stores do the same thing. If they're not putting a price on the book, it's not like those things are cover. It's that they're going to wait for you to go to the register and then they're going to pull out a price guide and then they're going to look those things up in a price guide. Right. And uh, that drives me nuts. I, I'm, a, I'm a big stickler for actually pricing your stuff. Yeah. What they're trying to do is hedge their bet there. And uh, instead of doing the work beforehand and potentially missing out on a dollar, because say they say they price a book, um, you know, in January and then March or, or February or, uh, you know, what May rolls around. And the prices change, so they have to go back and try to reprice everything. So th- they're trying to sell, save themselves some work by doing this. But it's such a huge inconvenience to the the person buying the book. Yeah. And on, not only that, it just seems kind of dirty. Like yeah. it seems like a dirty process. Yeah, it does. It does. And and the the irony is this guy clearly knows how to go through his own bins because up on the high wall, I saw Iron Fist: The Living Weapon number one. Which, um, you know, longtime listeners will know as the Iron Fist series I thought was bad. Ed, Ed also agreed, I think, when we talked about it offline. Another Iron Fist fan. And, uh, and this, man, this is what happens sometimes, goddammit. So I got a note after I talked about Iron Fist from Brian Clark. Who, who listens to the podcast. And he had said, hey, I actually kind of like that. Maybe, you know, I mean, he he talked about how much he liked it. And then I was like, yeah, maybe I should give it another try. I thought it was kind of bad, but you never know. Um, so it's been on my want list. And then the goddamn Shang-Chi movie, I think, got announced. And there's a character whose first appearance was in Iron Fist, The Living Weapon, number one. And now that book oh, is a shit. $30 book. It's a $30 book. Uh, and I was like, all I want is to read the goddamn thing. You know what I mean? And now I can't get number one. And it, ugh. Just freaking crazy. So the lesson, as always, is hang on to your shit, you know, which I will, yeah. I will do for the rest of time. But um, but the the best thing, I'll finish up this whole thing. The best thing about Velocity Comics is, wow, what a mind-blowing selection of, like, indie, artistic kind of books. They had an enormous manga wall. They had, I mean, they had, like, the From Hell Master Edition. They had all kinds of amazing hardcovers that I just, that can't, that I can't think of right now. But like what you think of when you think of like as an indie lover or as a good comics lover, just amazing comics. I mean, if you gave me a thousand dollars to spend on trades, I could burn it, you know, because they just had, he had so many cool and I'm assuming um, the person I saw was the owner, but so many great trades and stocked very deep. You know, I can't remember what trade it was, but he had three copies of it. And I was like, wow, that is really impressive. It turns out that I believe where um, where his store is is very close to Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University, which explains it. A lot of a lot of the best comic stores in my experience in the country that aren't in like big cities, um, big, big cities like top top 10, top 15 cities. A lot of them are around colleges, you know, and um, and I've seen that record stores, comic stores, a lot of the best ones around the country gravitate around colleges because that's where you get some really good energy and a lot of people that are willing to try a whole lot of shit, you know. But um, anyway, so that was my my quick uh, synopsis of Richmond, which is going to serve as as my first thing. What about you, man? What was your first thing? Yeah, that's uh, starting off with the bang there. A lot of a lot of cool stuff. Fabergé eggs, guar, uh, comics. So um, my my thing actually starts a week ago, uh, over a week ago. So last week we actually had to record slightly early because you were on your road trip. And um, on Tuesday night, insomnia hit me terribly. 
And I ended up getting up at 3 a.m. Uh, like I usually do. My insomnia usually hits about 3. I get up, I go to the bathroom, I get a little bit of water, I do a back stretch, and then I attempt to fall back asleep. And so after an hour, I realized it's not happening. Like, it's just not happening. I'm not going back to sleep. If anything, I'm getting more awake, and uh, which is problematic. So I ended up just getting up, grabbing my iPad from downstairs. Bash looked at me, my dog, like, what the fuck are you doing awake? And would you like to go outside and throw a tennis ball? <laughs> yes, exactly. And he goes, is it playtime? Um, so I grab the iPad. I go back upstairs. And I basically work on pages until 6.45 in the morning. And uh, I was able to knock out four out of five panels that night um, to the morning. And then by the end of the day, I ended up finishing the last panel. And then I ended up flatting the page by the end of the night. So within a 24-hour period, I was able to finish uh, that page. So that was, that was pretty rewarding in its own way. Uh, maybe sleep would have been good. But honestly, I think I'm I think I'm happy with my results of last Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So so no complaints there. I also managed to uh, get back on my panel a day kick. So that's something I've been doing since then, and it's been working really nicely. Um, I'm I'm keeping up every day. I've got a new panel, and so I'm actually almost done with the second page. And uh, by the end of this night, I will have that completed, and so I only have two pages left. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. How's uh? Have you checked in with death lately? Uh, yeah. I actually have been sending him in our group chat. I I message him. I said, "Hey, death. I finished my panel for the day." Mm. <laughs> so I'm doing that every day just to be like, "Hey, man, get on it." You know. Yeah. Just to try to encourage him. Um, it's just so hard though, you know, because it's like I don't know if that's discouraging to him. Or if it's encouraging to him. Because for me, it would be encouraging. Because I would go, I need to fucking hustle. Yeah. But every, everyone reacts differently to pressure. Yes. So I ha I have urgency when I see that I'm, I'm behind it. So uh, I would definitely move a lot quicker. Um, but I don't think that's what's happening with him. Yes. Um, and, and I think it definitely goes both ways. And... Um, What's interesting is that there is a there is a writing equivalent again, which is, you know, you talk about a panel a day. I talk about two pages a day and something that my novel instructor had talked about is uh, creating an accountability thread. And that that when he was writing his first novel, he has two published novels and I'm um, sure he's you know, he's working on all kinds of stuff now. But when he was doing his first, um, he found some people that like are like minded like him. And, uh, and they would just, they would text each other when they finished their two pages a day. Same thing. I finished my two. Where the fuck are yours? Yeah. Accountability. Yeah. And he found a great, he just found a great couple people that could do that. I mean, you know, to, I actually started an accountability thread with some people and have, have gone through several iterations of it. And every time it fizzles every single time, um, I knock out my two every goddamn day because I want to be a novelist, man. I want to be published. I want to be in, you know, Barnes and Noble right. or whatever, you know. So, so I'm I'm putting in the work. And um, but that said, at some point, it it demotivates, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's something both you and I have both run into. I don't know how many times I said both in that sentence. Uh, so both, uh, both, both, know, both, 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 both. <laughs> yeah, death isn't the first person that I've challenged to to 
a drawing, you know, like a draw off, you know, it's just like, Hey, you have this many pages left. I have roughly that many pages left, if not more. Yeah. Let's, let's race each other and see who can get done first. For me, it's motivational. It's just like, all right, I like competition, you know? And, um, you know, usually it usually doesn't work out for the other person, you know, And, and I hope it does work out for death. I hope he does finish this book and moving forward. He, he, you know, gets in a nice rhythm. But yeah, I found that I've challenged other people and it's just like, all right, well, this isn't even a competition. I'm not even fast. Like, yeah. what's going on? And same with uh, our podcast. This is my, uh, really my third or fourth iteration of a podcast that I've attempted to do. And uh, like, you're the only person that's stuck. And I think we're both very motivated people. It's like, we're, we're like work driven, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, we have to accomplish things or we die inside yeah totally yeah, yeah i mean that's what it feels like to me that's how it feels to me i mean i i tell my kid all the time i say earn your lazy you know like i like i like being lazy but i like earning my lazy so you know like if the sixers are on tomorrow night and i actually want to watch it well then i better get my goddamn work done by then because if i don't then i'm not watching them you know so for me that serves as motivation um i did want to make a little amendment though because you know i, I know you mentioned something that kind of death had said before about the page a day idea and how you then, you know, you kind of set up this time like, well, I got to do my page today or I might as well not get started. But um, I think, you know, when it comes to, to two pages a day or when it comes to a panel a day, which we're finding are kind of like the nice thing that are kind of analogous to each other. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be one panel a day. Like maybe you have the kind of schedule where Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays are fucked, you know, so. So do two on do two panels Tuesday if you have a lot of time. Do two panels Thursday if you have a lot of time. It's just important to get to whatever you want to get to. I am the kind of person where I need to have a little a little check in a box today to let me know that I did stuff. You know, like I'm I'm the kind of, and 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 it's fine. Everybody has their different ways to motivate themselves. Just, you know, understand what motivates you, but also be realistic with yourself. If you only really have three days a week where you can draw or where you can write, then by all means, make those three days the days you put in the work and then, you know, do whatever you need to do on those other days, man. We all have busy lives and we all have lots of things to do, you know. So anyway, I, I think that's that's a yeah. good, good, good stuff, man. Yeah, I had a, a day where I had penciled roughly two panels but I hadn't finished it. So it's like, even though I'm doing digital, I have a pencil stage and I have an inking stage, you know? The pencil stage is very messy. It's kind of like me figuring out body positioning and uh, all of that. And then, you know, I'll go into the inking over top of it on a new layer. But, so one day I was just like jamming on these two panels simultaneously. And it was already coming up on 11.30. I started inking one of the panels and I'm like, you know what, I just, I don't have the inking bug today. It's not something I feel like doing. And uh, I was like, you know what? For today, I think I hit the goal mm-hmm. in, in a different way because I've laid out today's panel and tomorrow's panel already. So tomorrow can just be a dual inking day. Tomorrow I'm going to ink two panels yep. and then, you know, Monday, Tuesday are, are covered. You know what I yep. mean? So, you know, whatever whatever gets you there at the end of the week, let's say you're doing, um, you know, a five five work day like if that's the thing that you want to accomplish like or you or the the schedule you want to keep with yourself like you really want to hold yourself accountable for accountable for five days a week for something creative okay so by the end of the week have five panels so however you get there just have the five panels done and, and more than likely you're going to have a page done you know if not close to it panel or pages usually run mostly between four to six panels yep. per page so 
yeah, you're going to probably bang out a, a page and, uh, you know, a panel. So you'd be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Rock and roll. Rock yeah. And roll. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, my first thing. All right, cool. So, so my second thing, and this is really the, the only substantial thing. I mean, I have a few little rounding error type things, I suppose that I could share at the end, but, uh, but for this, so I, I mentioned, I think last week that I had put together this project plan for Kadoja volume four. And, um, and I have my own deliverables. So while the art and while the lettering and are being done while I'm kind of coordinating all the cover stuff, while I'm trying to coordinate product, I'm doing some logistics things. As an example, I went ahead and ordered my packaging material um, that's going to ship the books. Um, it's sitting downstairs in an enormous box right now. So I'm just going to double check that and make sure everything looks pretty good to mail out the books once, the, uh, once it's time to mail out things for the Kickstarter. The other thing I did was I had this week in the project plan and I did fall a little behind, but I did some today to catch up because my real date, you know, I, I put it as a tentative May 8th, but you know, you get busy, you're traveling. So as long as I get it done by this Friday, basically two days from now, I'll be in, I'll be in pretty good shape. But I wanted to work uh, on the bonus content that's going to go at the end of each chapter for Kadoja volume three. And, um, and so I, the nice thing is I wrote out a lot of it. So in this in this limited ash can I did um, called Kadoja Declassified, I had a a scene or two with uh, with a person. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a transcript from that scene. That's going to be one of the things because while I like it existing in artistic kind of ash can form um, for the people that bought it, I also feel that that information is necessary. So that information is going to go in the trade. That's going to be at the end of one of the chapters. And then at the end of two of the chapters, I decided the best way I wanted to do some information was through email threads. It just felt like an interesting way to present it. And um, and the information I'm looking to present is basically for those that that read Kadoja, there is, you know, there's this giant monster story and there's this Lovecraft story. And the thing about the Lovecraft part of it is that people are all starting to, you know, kind of have a shared experience. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to have some emails that document a couple angles of that. And uh, and I wrote it out actually on the plane back a couple days ago. And I'm actually turning it into what will be the final format that I'll probably do, print out, photocopy in, and then turn into the the bonus pages in, in the book. So anyway, nice. I'm, I'm cranking through that. It's all written. I typed up the first part of it today because it's a lot of formatting. And then I'll probably type up the second part tomorrow with one exception. I'm actually going to, um, I found a cool opportunity to put some people's names in here. So um, on this email thread, there's going to be a whole lot of names and people on like email copy and stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm probably just going to randomly draw from the people that, um, that's, you know, back to Kickstarter and they'll get their name not only on the thank you page, but they'll get it on some of these bonus places as well. I thought, I thought that was, that's awesome. yeah, I was like, Hey man, this is a really cool opportunity to just shout out some of the, some of the backers here. So, um, so anyway, if you back the project, um, maybe take a look in some of those, uh, places and you might, you might find your name somewhere. You, you never know. Yeah. That's super cool. I like that. Yeah, but that was my that was my big second thing. I mean, it was it was a fair amount of work, but uh, kind of got summarized in in a pretty short time. Okay. Do you have more stuff after that, or you think that's that's? Yeah, it I mean, I, I can I can throw on a couple other little things. I guess the other little thing was that for animals, um, I'm I'm working on. You know, the idea is that there are these backgrounds that I've worked on. And then Albert is, um, Albert Nguyen is uh, putting some art on top of it to kind of create a drawing over painting effect. Um, but then what I decided is he's, you know, he did some of these, we have some of these really small panels and, um, 
And so what I'm doing is I actually just selected all the art I'm going to use for that too, because I've been focusing on the big pages and not focusing on the little panels. So with a black and white drawing, you know, like I don't want it to be a total art panel. I don't want it to just be inks, you know, on top of a painted background. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to kind of cut out the drawings in those inks and I'm going to put those on additional small backgrounds. And for a lot of the pages that I'm on right now, I decided that, in, so, you know, you might have like a close up of someone shooting a gun like this. Like I'm making a motion to Scott where I kind of have a fake gun in front of my head. And it's, this is basically the panel right here. It's like a close up. Well, if I keep that blank, it's kind of a blank black and white panel. But if I cut around, you know, kind of like draw lasso over my, my head and I put like a bright ass abstract background behind me. I think that'll really pop, you know, because a lot of the coloring, it this part of animals um, is happening at night, which I've talked about, you know, in, in terms of trying to figure out how to um, reflect dark instead of be dark. But because of that, I think there's going to be some opportunities where I have some nice panels where I can just blast you with some quick color and, and have some color backgrounds for these black and white drawings so that these smaller um, panels on the page pop against the larger background that I'm using. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So that was selecting. I, I just went through and selected them and basically found a whole lot of, um, uh, what's it called, common use clip art, some things like that. And uh, so I pay for it. I looked it up and, and now I can use that. I downloaded them and they'll just be ready for me to put into the um, into the comic. So we'll see. But that was pretty much it for nice. me. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Okay, so my so I have a couple of things and they're super quick, but we have a to uh, topic and uh, something that death that we talk about <laughs> we talk about death frequently on this podcast. It's the death episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's you know he's one of my buddies. He's one of the people that are making comics that I know, and and he always has a lot of questions or comments you know about the pod. So um, before we get into that, I'll just bang through my couple of things that I got. Uh, last episode, I was talking about Kickstarter stuff and sending out the PDF, getting a, you know, the survey sent out, and I had everybody that needed to get back to me get back to me. So I got all the names in there, and the PDF went out. A couple of days later, I realized there was a typo, and it's kind of like at the climax of the story. And uh, I was like, oh man! So I had my buddy Tristan, uh, shout out Tristan. Uh, fix the typo and then redo the PDF and he sent that back over to me and uh, I sent that back out through the Kickstarter. So I'm so happy that I just randomly wanted to check the PDF. I was like, let me just look over the PDF one more time. I had it on my iPad and uh, gave it a look through and saw that huge typo and uh, I was just like, oh man, and uh, you know, got that fixed. So definitely happy that happened before I sent that to the printer yeah. because I would have been screwed. The second thing is I contacted my Kickstarter exclusive cover artist uh, from for that, that Kickstarter about getting me the cover. And so it's been a couple of days, I haven't heard back, but I know he's a busy guy. So I'm hoping that uh, he saw the, the, the message and was like, you know what, let me bang that out before I get back to him so I can just give it back to him. That's Fingers crossed that that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, that's my very hopeful dream. And so hopefully that'll happen because we're getting a little tight. We're getting a little tight on this deadline. And uh, so I have a deadline of July that I'm going to get the book back to the Kickstarter, uh, the backers, hello. And um, so it's already mid-May. Mid 
So hopefully that comes in so I can send it off to the printer. The printer roughly takes about two weeks to a month, depending how backed up he is. And so that'll bring me all the way through June. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just like, okay, well, July, that means I have to pack everything as fast as possible in the month of July to make sure everything gets out. So uh, luckily, I do not have any head drawings this Kickstarter that I know of. So I need to go back, double check. And that's always something that's kind of bit of a pain in the butt and um, kind of slows the process down. But I think I'm clear this this uh, Kickstarter and I'll be able to send that stuff out ASAP. So just waiting on that cover and I'm going to get these things out to everybody. Good shit, man. All right. So it's yeah. it's time for some it's time for some questions, right? Yeah, man. So Def's, uh, uh he had a couple of questions and one of them was regarding mailing. And it, and this one this one's not even that big of a deal. He was he was like, well, can you send comics through media mail? And uh, you know, if you have it in the top loader, can you send it through media mail? Yeah, I think so. That you should be completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that uh, because it's as long as you don't have advertisement, you know, paid advertisement in your book, you can send it through media mail. The top loader, I don't think, is an issue because it's just something that's protecting. The product. It's it's still a book. It's just in a protective cover. For those of you that want to send your comics by media mail, here's what you do. You say, I'm sending this media mail. If they say what's in it, you say a book. You do not say a comic because if they say comic, they'll think it's an old school comic with advertising and they'll try to get you. Right. So number one, it is a book, not a comic. Number two, did you include any notes or any personal items or any paper? Why would I do that? Because what they're trying to like, if, if theoretically, if you write a post-it, to someone and stick it on your comic that says, hey man, thanks, go Sixers. That is that is no longer media mail. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to just try to trip you up on a few possible things. So as long as you get through that, they might ask another question or two, and then it becomes some soft sale of like, well, you know it's going to take eight days. Right. And it's so wild to me. It's just like, are you getting paid extra by not having it sent media mail? I don't understand what's happening here. And I had a post office I would always go to, and there was two people that were always there. One dude I was super cool with, looked like Lando Calrissian, loved him, great guy. The other one looked like my auntie, and she was super strict with everything, and she wanted to know, well, what's in it, and this and that, and I'm just like, God, I don't like dealing with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, too, you're too abrasive, and, and uh, you know, you're just too, I don't know, aggressive or whatever. But he was actually the one that told me that, that fact. He goes, well, if it doesn't have advertisement in it, you're okay. Even if it's a comic book, if it doesn't have advertisement, it's still considered a book. But there are people, like you said, that are sticklers and they're trying to get you. So, um, yeah, call it a book. How was your day at work? Well, it's funny you ask. There was this motherfucker that tried to mail a comic with a post-it on it. And I found out <laughs> that he put a post-it to his friend, so I got to charge him full price instead of media mail price. That's a great day. That's a great day. <laughs> Didn't affect my salary whatsoever, <laughs> but I sure like sticking it to people, honey. Exactly. Anyway, I'm going to hop in the shower. Number two was collaboration. So Death is an artist, and he has been dabbling with the idea of taking on a writer. I've actually introduced him to Ed, and so... After that introduction, I don't know what's going on with them. I haven't talked to either one about it. So if that's still going on, cool. If not, no worries. He's He was wondering, 
what is the process with collaboration? How does that work financially? Uh, credits, all of the, all of that type of things, uh, those type of things. My answer for me is all based on how much you're putting into the project or certain character. So for instance, uh, for me and Ed, I created the second shift when I was in seventh grade. They have full on personalities, like very distinct personalities. They're, I designed them, they're, they're drawn, they've been in books you know, that I've drawn. Granted, they didn't see the light of day because the story was terrible, because I'm not a writer. Um, but they were fully formed characters. They were fully, to me, they were already people. So he did ask me a lot of questions that filled them out even more. And, and here's a funny thing. I created them in seventh grade in, um, uh, you know, like, what is that? 15 years later, he goes, what's their last names? And I did not have an answer for him because they didn't have last names. Cause it's as an artist, sometimes you're not even thinking about that kind of thing. Yeah. I got to draw them shooting people and punching people in the face. So that's yeah. what's important. Um, so he, he had a lot of questions for me. Uh, just like, oh, what about this? What about that? You know, and just stuff I didn't have answers for, but it was stuff that I thought about and I came up with the answers. So uh, even though he helped me get there, they were still fully my characters. So he does not own any ownership of those characters. But there are other characters that he helped me fully form. Like I knew what they looked like and I knew what their names were, but I had nothing else. I didn't have like a backstory. I didn't, I didn't know where exactly they were from how they got there or whatever like a bionni man i had the look of him and uh, i had his name and that was it and ed just did all of this research and he was like hey so i was reading this and i found this stuff out and what do you think about this i was like oh shit that's amazing so he is someone even though i created him before i even met ed um he has 50 50 rights 50 50 ownership of that character mm. because he brought so much to the table with that character that I didn't have. And and so it's really stuff like that. You need to, it's a case by, like just like everything in life, it's a case by case situation. How much have you created on your own compared to when that person came into the project? Do you feel like that person brought enough to this particular character or this particular story that they deserve 50% ownership of it? And so so that's what you have to decide. So it's, it's really... Uh, you know, case by case, in in my in my opinion and in my experience. Yeah, I mean, and and I think for me, from the writer perspective, I can I can illustrate just through a couple things, right? So, for for three protectors, I mean, so so what happened was Rory got paid for the first volume of Kadoja, and then in the second volume of Kadoja, he's like, "We're fine, we're collaborating," and and you know, so the way that I view Kadoja in general, is that the characters of Kadoja are kind of equally owned by Lance, Rory, and I. And you'll, and you know, if you look at the the title page, you'll see Kadoja created by Keith Foster, Lance Pilgrim, Rory Smith, right? Um, but when it comes to the, so because Rory just did the art for volume two, it's kind of all mine. You know, when it comes time to, to pay the bills and do all that, well, then I'm just gonna keep the money. Um, and if other people do stuff, then it's kind of treated as work for hire, which means, you know, you got paid up front, you have no rights, right? That's that's the way it works. And because of that, that's sort of, so with three protectors, Rory did a lot of that stuff because he just wanted to do it. Um, and then um, and then I hired a guy named uh, Mark Nosler to do some pages and he just did work for hire. So again, when three protectors happens, it's pretty much gonna gonna all fall to me. But you know, I'm, I'm a man of honor. So if something big ever happens with three protectors, I'm sure I'll look to do some kind of split. You know what I mean? It's 
Yeah, that was that was my question. Um, so okay, so did you watch the Invincible cartoon? I don't know if we've talked. about I did this. not. No. Okay, so in the opening sequence of Invincible, it says Invincible created by uh, Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, and um, uh, Ryan Otley. Hello, mm-hmm. he's like one of my favorite artists. Yeah. So what the hell? Uh, so it says created by those three people, right? Yeah. Corey did the first six issues i believe and then otley did the basically the rest i think i think cory might have done five more throughout the series it went to 145 mm-hmm. so total i think cory did about 10 and otley did 135 so even though cory was the initial um designer of of some of the characters otley also designed a good amount of characters so kirkman was just like okay well I didn't design these characters. You did. I, I said I needed, hey, I need another character, you know, like this or that. And then, you know, either guy came up with something. And, and so they get 50% ownership or, or you know, divide it three, three ways. Yeah. Uh, so they have ownership into the characters. So who would you say has ownership in uh, Kadoja? Like if if Kadoja got, Kadoja got licensed uh, for a comic or a, I mean a cartoon or a movie or something. In terms of ownership of the characters, I mean to your point, Rory and Lance did a lot of the the character development for Three Protectors and for Kadoja. So, you know, there's no way those characters look how they look without those two guys really pitching in and us being a team. And so, you know, teamwork uh happens to mean that when it comes time to split the money, you're a team too. <laughs> you know, so so if for some reason that ever happens, then yeah, Kadojan three protectors would I mean, I'm just seeing it as kind of an even split. For animals, I think that's probably more me and that everything is sort of work for hire. But animals is a little different because I had one artist that, you know, did some stuff, um Ed and then he, I, I haven't heard from him since. What I'm probably going to have to do with animals is, this is kind of complex, but I think it makes sense once you break it down, is you almost have to take like a lane for each thing. You have to say written by, and that might be a certain percentage, like writing and art are, are certain percentages. So writing is me all the way through. And then for art, you'd have that as another lane, and then you'd break that down. Right. And then the question would be, because because I've had to segment this, the question is going to be who did the backgrounds and who did the who did the art on top of the backgrounds. And so for like page one, Ed did everything. So he's going to be the backgrounds and the art on the backgrounds. By the time we get to, you know, chap that's chapters, let's say one through four. But if there's if we start to get into those transition chapters where he may have done like the foreground, but you know, um, well, actually, yeah, but he may have done like a certain thing, but Albert maybe drew over it. Then he would get like background credit, but Albert would get the the pencil drawing, the foreground credit. Right. Yeah. The credits page is going to look pretty nuts on this. It's 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 not. Well, I mean, it, it can look pretty nuts or I can just I can just <laughs> or, or you say can super simplify it. You can go art, you know, exactly. That's what it's going to be. Boom, art, boom, boom. art by, you know, Ed, Albert and Keith. For the first part, it's just going to be Ed. And for the second part, it's going to be Ed, Albert, and Keith. And I'll get fancy with the accounting as I need to when it comes time to, like, split up the proceeds, right? Because Ed mm. Ed did the art with the agreement of kind of like a back-end agreement. And that's the way okay. a lot of collaborations work, right? If it's, if it's not work for hire, then it's going to be back-end, right? And the back-end, I mean, we know that in the indie world, back-end... 
sometimes never happens, sometimes happens and it's only a small sum of money. But, you know, we all sort of do it for the for the chance that the lottery ticket hits. And when the lottery ticket hits, if and when, well, that's when you get smart about breaking up the money. You know what I mean? And and so, again, Mm -hmm. he's he's done good work. If writing is half of it, then Keith gets the writer money when it's time. Ed gets half of the artist money and Keith gets half of the artist money because Albert did some of the artist stuff, but Albert did it as work for hire. But he's already paid. He's already paid. He's up. already been paid up. So time. exactly. Yeah. So, so you, so the ownership would be solely you though, right? Like you said for this one, you would be the sole owner of this. Animals was created project. by Keith Foster. That's correct. Okay. Okay. So, um, that that's interesting so so the first thing uh about it was like rights like who owns what what percentage or whatever so uh yeah so for me um it's it's basically i own the second shift but ed owns some of the characters mm-hmm. like 50 percent of some of the characters um like a lot of the villains as well and um so so that's 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 an interesting aspect of creator own comics and collaborating with someone on the independence or, or you know as like if you're not in the big two then it's something you're going to need to figure out with that person yeah uh, ed's just so chill about everything so you were talking about you were going more into financials so financially uh the way i handle it is ed basically kind of gets a page rate and i'll do that with the kickstarters mm-hmm. so if the kickstarters reach a certain amount then ed gets paid out essentially that, that that's kind of how it works out because I'm basically fronting the cost for everything. Like I pay for everything. You know, I do the art on it. I pay the colorist. I pay the letterers. Um, And so it's just like, okay, most of the Kickstarter stuff, it goes to printing and paying myself back for for those other things that are needed for the book. So if we make enough, then Ed gets a page rate. I can't remember that offhand, to be honest with you. Um, I'm sure Ed will let me know because I, you know, and, and it's just it's just like okay books come out you know a couple times a year and if they make their nut back and then we go into that so but like you said it's just like yeah sometimes sometimes we're not getting paid for this a lot of times I'm not um it's usually like over time it's just like oh yeah I'm making money but the money for me always gets invested back into the books yeah. it's like yeah I'm never making you know a few thousand off of it and going sweet I'm gonna go buy some some killer Kobe's or something, you know, it's just like, okay, well this is going back into the account. And so when I need to pay Joaquin to color another book, then, then he's going to get paid with that. And so, um, you know, a lot of time it ends up being the love of the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's uh, odds are if like for me, for the last, for as long as I've been doing Kadoja, it feels like it's been a losing proposition, right? And then I do my taxes at mm. the end of the year, and I'm like, how about that, man? I actually made a couple dollars. You know, like, it doesn't seem like it, but that's the way it tends to work out. And you're under you're under a, more of a financial, uh, not stress, uh, you're taking more of the brunt of the financials than I would be since you're on the writer end. But like you said, a lot of your collaborators have been doing it on the back end. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's usually the most expensive part of the projects. I have a couple of writer friends and I know what they pay artists and you do the math and you're like, wow, it's a couple of G's for you to make a comic book. Yes. For me, it's literally, literally hundreds. Yeah. Like it's not thousands. Yes. It's hundreds. It's like, Hey, 300 bucks, uh, three to 400 bucks. I can get a, you know, a hundred book print run done 
you know, I got my colorist at a very nice rate. And, um, you know, half of the time I end up doing the lettering. Yeah. So, you know, and then Tristan, like when Tristan does the lettering, it's like, you know, it's like half pay, half barter. It's just like, hey, do you want me to print more of your books? You know, I can do that. I'm doing a print run. I'll take care of the shipping. And it's just like, oh, hey, well, if we do that, then that works out to this, you know. So, you know, it, it pays to be in certain positions. It's just like, well, we're both creating books. Do you want, I'll, I'll eat the shipping and that'll be part of the pay and then I'll pay you this on top of that. And so it, it comes out to be very reasonable for me. So as a writer, I understand that it could be a little more financially uh, taxing. Yeah. I mean, again, like you said, for the love of the game, right? You you do it. Yeah. You, you do it because, you know, you, you get up every day and, and you got to have something to dream about. And, and this is one of those things to dream about, right? And I think most writers, what they dream about is being able to just get artists for their book and having a publisher pay. <laughs> you know, that would, that would, yeah, that would right? be pretty wonderful. You know, like I, as I go through, I just went through previews um, right before we were hanging out because I, I hit up my comic shop and uh, boy, Boy, uh, so, you know, a, a good thing and a bad thing is when your comic shop remembers that they had some big, thick graphic novels or like fancy trades that they had forgotten to give you in the previous months. And then it all hits you. And it was like, oh, wow, I did not expect to spend this much today. And I do remember ordering that months ago, you know, but uh, yeah. but here we are. Here we are. So. um, So, yeah, man, I mean, you you know, you do it because you do it because you. You hope that that someday, you know, it, it comes through. Sorry, but what I was going to mention is I just looked through previews and there is a writer who it feels like it feels like the dude writes 20 books a month. You know what I mean? So like while I while I kind of like lament over the over the station of the writer. When a writer ends up putting out multiple books a month, it's it really works against my case. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's so it's so funny because you had mentioned that before. It's just like, well, I take a lot of time doing this and that. You know, I'm out on walks and I'm thinking about it. And, and that is all part of the process. But at the end of the day, a writer who is very prolific, he can put out crazy amounts of books per month. Whereas an artist more than likely... And in this day and age can put out one book a month if they're lucky. Yep. And so, so that's the difference. And you can where, you know, as we've seen on the journey for both of us on this podcast, you're, you're going through a lot of, uh, you know, fourth draft, fifth draft or whatever. Uh, these writers that have to do it on a monthly basis, they're probably two drafts. Yeah. You know, they got their initial, they throw it to their editor, their editor sees what's problematic they correct those things and we're off to the races. That's it. Yeah. That's that's how it has to be done if your entire livelihood is based off of comics. So, yeah, it's a bit different. I am I am going to bring up something. I don't like this writer. <laughs> I uh, this is a writer that I've given a chance to, but I, I mean I think there's there's a little bit of a larger thing in there too. You know, I was thinking about this as I was driving home from work today. I was thinking about number one, this writer and how they crank out so many books. And then I was thinking about just in general what my reading experience with comics is, right? It, it's They tend to be kind of, you go through it, you either enjoy it or you don't. And we tend to geek out on the fact that something tends to be super well-written or has deep character development. But when I think about you, Scott, and I think about the kind of things that you've talked about that have amazing character development, what they all have in common is a vast body of work, right? I uh, I believe either on or off this podcast, you've talked about how Shit's Creek has great character development. 
that is multiple seasons of a show. You talk about how Invincible, again, tons of issues in, has the ability to do character development. Those are the two that really jump out when, when you talk about that. When you really think about a lot of comics, there's not a lot of opportunity for character development. You know, part of me in my own writer brain, I feel like character development is the work. And I was kind of equating this to, I've been on a run where I've, I've read a lot recently, a lot of very short novels. Uh, you'd, you'd probably call them novellas. In terms of page count, we're probably talking about 80 pages to 180 pages. In terms of um, um, us cheaters for audiobooks, we're probably talking about from two hours to four hours of an audiobook. While a lot of those books, to me, again, this is my personal preference, while a lot of those books have interesting ideas, they always feel undercooked by the time I get to it. And it's because they're lacking that character development. You have to have shortcuts and shorthand for character development. And the more you read and the more you kind of look for stuff, the more you can kind of see it there. And I do think that comics take some of those shortcuts as well because their job is to put out a monthly comic, you know? So... I think on some level, this kind of goes back to, you know, what being prolific can mean sometimes. I do think that, you know, writing comics where you tend to get character development is over a long period of time, as opposed to over a short period of time, given how many pages you have to work with. But I also think that like character development is really the hardest work there is, at least it is for me. And, um, and, and you can see some of that, you know, like, Again, there are plenty of comics I love where I don't feel like the characters are particularly well developed. You know, what you have is a bunch of cool scenes and a, bun- and a bunch of nice action pieces or set pieces, but you don't have character there because it takes a long time in comics to build character. And, you know, in a lot of cases in a novel, it takes a long time, right? There's a reason that a 100-page novel doesn't feel developed and a 400-page novel does. It's because you have 300 extra pages of space to develop your characters, you know? So... It tends to be a pure space correlation there. I have no idea if I just made a salient point or not, but it made sense to me. I don't know. I've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to keep it all it sounded in. good to we're me. We're going to keep it in. It's yeah, not going to. It's not going to be. Yeah. It's not going to be our insane tangent about flying on Southwest that I'm editing all out of. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah but anyway that was a great uh, we should we should keep that somewhere that should <laughs> be in our that should be another one of in our morgue files that we just have exactly like, uh, well just just because we went hey, on a tangent and didn't it didn't have shit to do with anything you know what i mean like that was yeah, the best yeah, part yeah. of it that was the best part of it um <laughs> and let me tell you about gas prices yeah exactly uh did you have anything else it wasn't that but yeah um no i think that was it i'm trying to think uh collaboratively if there's anything else that we can delve into, because it is definitely, it's a multi-layered question. You know, it's just like, uh, well, like I think the finances of it all, the rights of it all. Yeah. Are you? Do you generate? Do you generate contracts with your your guys? I generally don't. I mean, yeah, me neither. You know, me and Ed were, you know, and and I will say, I have heard this from from many a people, uh, many a pro. Um, either personally or just in interviews, you really should, we should do it uh, because some relationships can sour. You know, if, if your guys don't care about it and your your guys' collaborative pro- process goes tits up, you guys are no longer friends, you guys are no longer cool, then someone picks up Kadoja, there could be an issue there. Um, and so one of uh, one of my buddies who's, who's a working pro, he was just like, in, do a contract. He's like, just just so you have that stuff hammered out. You guys are cool now, 
but you never know something might come up and me and ed are so close i don't think that ever would happen even if it did happen i'm i'm a very fair person i would feel gross being like got a tv rights you don't get shit like you know like i said i i own the second shift i i created those characters well before he got there but man, if if the TV came along, I w- I would do him a solid. He wouldn't be getting no ten percent. I'll tell you exactly. that. And he's he's going to be getting a nice chunk of change when if if that ever rolled around. That's exactly sure. how I feel about Kadojin Three Protectors. You know what I mean? Like here's how I look at it. I have zero of that money right now. Zero. So if money comes in and something good comes in in the future, then we worry about it. You know, like but but we'll split the rights money. Because, like, I know this sounds strange, but to me, what I'm banking on is the fact that, like, I can keep making more stuff. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay making that bet on myself. I'm not lacking in ideas, and I'm definitely not lacking in, in hustle. So you do that. You move, you know, you get paid. You move on. And then you see, you know, I'm... You know, if you're if I mean, I'll, I'll those are the kind of bridges you cross way down the road when you get to them. But same thing, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a metal reference here. My second metal reference of the podcast. One of my favorite things, and maybe they've changed this, but I remember back in the day and a band that like I, I still have a, a warm spot in my heart for, though I don't love them as much today as I did way back in the day is Anthrax. I thought you were gonna say kiss. Oh yeah, well, kiss is kind of like that too, you know. But but they're like a, a also just a quick. Uh, uh, I always thought of Guar as the kiss of the metal world. That's perfect. I, I, I've actually, I've made that analogy actually, that they are very, Oh, have you? Oh yeah, man. They're, they're like, I, I, I actually just say kiss on crack because of the fitting, the fitting <laughs> Guar, uh, a reference there. Shit, man. I forgot what the fuck I was talking about. What was I talking about? Oh, Anthrax. Anthrax. An- don't, see, this is a great thing about editing. I can just edit that out. So for Anthrax, what they did in their early days were, they just said all songs written by Anthrax. That was it. They didn't care about who got the songwriter credit or any of that shit. We're all in a band. We're all writing this song. They're all written by Anthrax, and we'll deal with it later. And um, and so that's kind of how I feel about this stuff. You know what I mean? Like we're a team, and I'm not. You know, I'm I'm not here to throw that teamwork out the window if a check comes in. So um, but you know, obviously, I also want to fight for myself. So in something like Animals, where it was I was the driving force of it, sure. Yeah, I, I think that when it comes to theoretical rights down the road, that that would be something where they should fall to me, you know. But but I think to your point, to wrap up the collaboration talk, there's really two angles of it, right? You approached it from the rights angle in terms of what happens if something kind of windfallish comes down the road. But what I was thinking about is the day-to-day nitty-gritty of it when you're actually cranking out comics and how you're going to pay people, you know, depending on what your collaboration is. So I think we answered that. And, uh, and with that, let's talk about how you can find me on Instagram. You can find me at Kadoja Kaiju. That's one word. That is all things Kadoja. And then there is Keith underscore decibel, which is metal and restaurants and museums and gore places and all kinds of awesome stuff. <laughs> and you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Scott Loss, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T. And Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yes, and I have been promising for websites to do a facelift on Kadoja, that that part of my website, and the time is getting very close. <laughs> I expect to have some time this weekend. But uh, KeithRFoster.com is my site, and there are sub pages there. But if you go to KeithRFoster.com, that's got everything you need. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com and pick up my books. Uh, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, 
Uh, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. There's obviously more to it, but that's the quick sales pitch to you. And there's a bunch of anthologies. Tales from the Mothership is also up there. Those are all books that I have stories in, so give those a look. And uh, maybe pick those up. Go to our websites, pick up our books. We don't have a Patreon or anything like that. Uh, but the way you can support us is picking up our comics. So you get to read our comics and we get that money. Because that money turns into us making more comics down the road, right? So Exactly. So, yeah. As we've talked about on this episode. Exactly. So it all feeds itself. And, uh, you know, if, if we didn't cover everything as far as collaboration goes, if we didn't answer some questions because we were rambling because we've been drinking, uh, email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. And we'll try to fix anything that we've said and uh, add to it. We might even release the audio to our Southwest Airline conversation that we were eliminating from the podcast. There's no way I haven't queued up the music by now, man. So I'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, brother. There you go.